a whopping, whopping 72% of South Dakota State fans were polling for the USD Coyotes in their NCAA Sweet 16 game on Saturday night. That's according to my Twitter poll, 65 votes. So, you know, up to you if you think that's a fair sample size. But it does appear Jackrabbit fans were polling for the Coyotes on Saturday night. 72% of them, only 15% from Michigan, and then 12% of people who were in denial saying they didn't care. You did. (laughs) Anyway. Why am I saying this now? Because it's a backdrop to the conversation we're about to have. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's nobody's listening anyway. Here are your hosts. John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right, well, I mean, we have some unprecedented, well, not unprecedented, but historical and exciting type of basketball that we've been seeing the last few days for both the Jacks and the Yotes women. And we have what I think could be a very fun, uh, it seems like a bit of a pissing match between the fan bases. Uh, I know you you and I are both ready to chew on, but I got a memo this morning. The FCC knows everybody who's doing a podcast. I mean, they go beyond broadcasts. And I got a memo from the FCC. Uh, Until further notice, time being in America, it is an absolute law to lead any form of a broadcasting show with your stance on Chris Rock versus Will Smith. We have to do it. We have to grab people's attention until it gets old, and it's apparently not old enough yet. So, okay, what were your thoughts? And then I'll share mine. I immediately thought it was fake, and the narrative seems to have switched to, like, no, it's real. And I'm inclined to believe it just based on, you know, they were talking about Chris Rock, you know, potentially filing a police report, and Will Smith comes out with a full-throated apology and everything. So it looks like maybe it really was real, but also, like, I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical that it was real. Yeah. Even okay. So of of course when he when Will Smith Chris Rock had no reaction. He didn't like rub his face. If you see it like I saw someone did like a Zapruder film slow motion like he almost sort of puts his face out there like here you go slap me in the face. Maybe he was just ready to take it. Maybe he know. was just, you know, preparing he, know. animal instincts. I th- well, I thought when Will Smith was walking up, they're like, oh, this is totally a bit. They're just having some fun, and right. they're being and a little gonna, outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even think it was to, like, I don't think that there was some uh, ploy by the Oscar committee. Hey, you two, you get in a fight. Yeah, yeah I thought he was going like, to put him in a headlock or something yeah, yeah, I, I, make but, a joke out of it. But, you know, and but I, I thought once he sat down and started, yeah, once we got 15 seconds of silence, and then if you heard the uncensored yep, version, yep, the two yep. F-bombs, yep. like that looked like a guy who was truly pissed. It was weird because, of course, he was laughing at the joke. Right. Um, and then Jada told him, hey, that's not funny. Go defend my honor or something. Which, um, I mean, there's so many tentacles to this, but it, that's another one where, is that the, really the best way to defend her honor? Right. Does he really need to do that? Right. Is that, because uh, I would wonder, uh, you know, I, I heard something, I'll just, it was on NPR, some lady some lady who was on there, some culture expert of some sort, you know, what, what, would, you t- what would you tell your man if this was him, if that was said about you, a physical condition that you have no control over, because, uh, you know, Jada Pinkett's bald for uh, a reason uh, beyond her control, what would you what would you think of your husband doing that? What would you tell your husband? And she said, I would, I, and I'd be interested to hear what Jen would have to say, <laughs> but she said, 
I would say, don't do that. You're fuck. That's you know, basically, you're fucking embarrassing us. This is not. This yeah. is going to do you worse than harm. Thank you for defending my honor, but that's not the way to do it. Yeah, I, I probably yeah. wouldn't go up and slap a guy in the face. Yeah, I don't think so. Especially because I'd get fired for something like that. That's probably <laughs> why I don't think it's great for his career. I, it wasn't bad for him in the short term for the night. The whole place gave him a standing ovation. Right. Um, you know, because maybe they were sympathizing. I, that was a weird thing too. Is how is that's why I was hoping he would win. Is because oh, he's got, yeah, if he he's wins, gotta go, he's got to open. You know, I don't it, really. Yeah. You know, I was kind of rooting for. I've always, you know, who doesn't like Will Smith a little bit? Some of his movies and some of his music were hits and misses, overrated in Oscar performances. Uh, but for the most part, I've liked Will Smith. I'm fine with him. He's, you know, we, I grew up with DJ Jazzy Jeff yeah. and the Fresh Prince and then the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I've always found him, him to be a little silly, though. Like, in the 90s, he was such a big superstar, and he always seemed so hell-bent on making sure, you know I'm the coolest guy on earth, right? Like, look how cool yeah. I am. Yes. I'm the coolest guy. Yes. See how cool I am? Look yeah. how cool I am. And sometimes it didn't land very well. Right. And I like, didn't even and like, and I his, didn't even like Summertime. I didn't really like <laughs> well, it. Well, I mean, his I, rap was, I thought that was kitty kinda, rap, kind yeah, of, you know, right, and so... Yeah. And he's a good actor, I guess, and it just—he always struck me as the kind of guy who was not going to age gracefully, because mm. you can't be the coolest guy in the country when you're 45. You and know, now he's like 57. Exactly, yeah. So I mean, it was kind of like, <laughs> okay, you were the coolest guy in the world in the 90s. Yeah. Now you're old. You're not cool anymore. And he just always struck me as the kind of guy who was not going to handle that well. And what happened the other night kind of seemed like yep. a confirmation of now that. Now he's done an all right job of at least getting into acting and doing some good acting roles. Some some definite miss, you know. But uh, he all he was. Terrific, and I, he, mm-hmm. Pursuit of Happiness. I haven't seen it, but I want to because that, that's a serious adult role to a degree. That's mm-hmm. anti, that's anti, uh, uh, you know, that's anti-sex appeal, and you know, so that's what you do when you age gracefully. You, okay, oh, I'm going to be a, I'm a serious actor now, right, right. and uh, and actually, you do, you know, again, he's had some movies and some roles that have been misses, but I've, you know, kind of like I, I've, I've rooted for him to come out of the shitty things and you know, be the will that we, the the Fresh Prince reunion. I don't know if we saw that. That's on HBO Max. It was it was wonderful, uh, but there was that one little part about remember the first Aunt Viv. Did you watch the show? The first. I mean, a- I sort of. The yeah, first Aunt was- Vivian. You know, there were two Aunt Vivians. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, apparently, he basically ran the other Aunt Vivian out, uh. and uh, you know, it ruined her career, and she's been bitter about it ever since. And there was a reunion of those two. They told the story about it a little bit in the middle of the show, and she came, she came on with the set. Uh, the old, but the, the 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 set for the reunion, the new Aunt Viv was the Aunt Viv in the reunion, mm-hmm. and she came onto the set and hugged everybody. It was a nice. Mo- I mean, you know, I'm, Gilbert and I, uh, you know, teared up a little bit when we saw that part. <laughs> the old Aunt Viv getting the reunion with Will, the bitter breakup, and reunion. But uh, but that was one part where when Will Smith was much younger and the coolest guy in America, where it was kind of a hint of like, oh no no, he's he's still kind of an asshole. Anybody who gets to be that big and powerful and wonderful on a global scale, politicians, sports people. People, especially politicians, you have to have some sort of, uh, and, and celebrities and actors, you have to have some sort of drive that uh, at least is willing to trample over other humans if you have to. I'm not saying they're all, anybody who's wildly yeah. successful is like, but yes, that kind of yeah. willingness. And so I think that, I think if it was real, and I think it was real, we saw that again. Maybe there's a couple screws loose as well. I've wondered about the mental health of Will Smith well, as he goes and does and something Jada like that. have been through some shit the last few years. Yes. Because I saw some other people tweeting things like, you let her bang other dudes, but you won't let Chris Rock make a joke about her hair. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So, I mean, I'm not privy to all that kind of stuff, but I was kind of like, oh, okay. Here's another right. sign that I'm getting older and not and grace and aging gracefully or not, depending on who you are. I watch a lot of CBS Sunday Morning, and uh, I, and go, you have no opinion on that. That's fine. Uh, great show. 
good news reporting and feature stories and profiles on celebrities, including people who were used to be great, like Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And so they did one. Gail King did one on Will Smith about a month ago. It was mostly good, painted him in a good light, but it... Um, you know, it, it visited kind of some of his dark past, tough childhood, and he's got a chip. He's got one of those chips, but like a massive enough chip that he's, again, if it's real, and I think it is, he went out of his mind and out of his body um, to to have that moment with Chris Rock. And I, I, I thought in his speech, I'm guessing you weren't watching, so did you watch the speech? I didn't watch speech? any of this. I didn't watch the Oscars. I just, you know. Yeah. In his speech... You know, he was crying, and he felt he seemed like I don't know if he was crying because he thought his career was flashing, it was ending <laughs> before his eyes, or he was overwhelmed by the audience giving him a standing L because he had to sit there for like a half hour to wonder, am I going to win? Right. And is my career over? Apparently, during breaks, his publicist was going over and talking to him, and Denzel Washington was tra- uh-huh. talking to him, uh-huh. and all this kind of. I mean, imagine being him, having done that, and being like, I don't know what I'd be thinking. Uh, but anyway, he, he seemed remorseful about it, but he also like he's all over the place. So anyway, is that is that enough of Will Smith and Chris Rock? I think so. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, so we know the basketball of the Jacks and the Yotes women have, in both of their cases, have been amazing. The Yotes through the NCAA tournament and almost you know beating Ole Miss and Baylor and almost beating Michigan. We can get into that game and that team and also the Jacks, what they're doing in the WNIT. I, we all know it's awesome basketball, and that part of it has been covered to death by a lot of other wonderful people in our media mm-hmm. uh, who do that in real time. So it's a few days after all of it, uh, and and the Jack season marches on. What I what I've gotten out of it uh, at the top of the list for this podcast is both fan bases have been awesome in supporting their women's basketball. Mm-hmm. I wonder to you, the Jacks writer, who's been to these last couple of Jacks games, especially on Sunday, where what they almost sold the place out, or they did I sell mean, the place 4, out. Forty-three hundred is about as much as you can put in there without, you know, yeah. counting standing room people walking around up at the, you know. That was for their Elite Eight comeback win over Alabama, and now for Thursday night fi- uh, Final Four WNIT game, it's already sold out, or it's expected. I, I, Sure, I don't know. I'm expecting it to be. I just wonder. I know the Jacks fans are great anyway. I wonder how much of the turnout and the excitement for these Jacks women in the WNIT has been in somewhat reaction to... Like, let's show up USD's fans? Yes! Like, if USD wasn't in the NCAA tournament, would they not be turning out as much? Uh, I honestly hadn't thought of that, and that's an interesting point, and you're probably right. Because it was well, because we had a few days to wait on USD going to Wichita, and I'm just one of many people who did some sort of story. But on Wednesday, I did a story on the fans going to Wichita, and, you know, uh, the about... At the end of Wednesday, their deadline for fans to order tickets through the school. If you mm-hmm. want to order tickets through the school, who will then buy a batch so you can all sit together yep. as best as possible in Wichita. They had they had sold 2,000 of those. And by the time we got to Saturday, who knows, out of 9,000 people in the crowd, it looked like at least half Yote fans. And so it's kind of like, they'll sell the whole narrative for four or five days in our state. Not just in sports, but, I mean, it was, this, was, this was news. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, leading some mm-hmm. newscasts and such is, wow, it's, it, it's mostly USD fans, but aren't our basketball fans in South Dakota great, but it was centered around USD. Uh-huh. They're so awesome, and they're they're traveling. It's only seven hours, but they're look at how many people are going uh-huh. and taking over. Well, I mean, another there were people place. from other media markets who were tweeting leading up to the game, like, "Holy shit!" There's Coyote fans everywhere. Well, it was definitely holy shit. I mean, yeah. they, they're yes, they were the closest of the four teams there, but the other four teams were these these either uh, blue bloods blue well yes and giant universities i mean michigan has 10 times 20 times the alumni base and fan base tennessee and louisville so uh it was impressive that usd took over the joint uh so yeah anyway 
but how much do you think SDSU fans, you know, that if, probably if is that part of it. Like case. I said, I hadn't thought about it. Sunday, all of a sudden, it's full. Because believe it or not, I'm not constantly thinking of USD versus SDSU versus USD versus SDSU. But yeah, I mean, I think I don't know if there was a jealousy thing um, because I think SDSU fans try to almost sort of act like, well, we don't have anything to be jealous about, and, and I get where that comes from. I was a little unsure of how much excitement there would be about NIT because they've been in it a few times. Um, but I think ever since USD won it in 2016, then there's a little bit more of a sense of like, hey, they won that thing. We should try and win that thing. And I don't know this year, you know, in past years, has been part of, part of it's been, you know, let's show everyone we belonged in the NCAA tournament. That certainly was the narrative for USD in 2016 because that team was obviously really good and they you know weren't missing one of their better players like the jacks are right now at least if i remember right so there was very much usd was on this sort of like revenge tour like we're gonna go around in this wnit and show everyone that we should have been in the ncaa tournament and it worked for them they won the thing i don't think sdsu is doing that as much this year because um i haven't asked that question too many times but a lot of other people have to players and to aj after the games and they're kind of like yeah no that's not like yeah we wish we were in the ncaa tournament because we feel like we could have won a game or two but that's not what's driving us right now we're just trying to keep playing we want to keep our season going you know and you know tyler Irwin's a fifth sixth year senior whatever and you know this is a team that enjoys playing together and you know they've had a good year and i think the fact that they've been through so much this year you know early in the year maya Sellen was still working away back from an injury uh then they went on one of their road trips and one of the uh, players fathers died while they were on the road that was a big emotional moment for the whole team you know then they come back Maya gets hurt again Paige Meyer gets hurt again I mean not to make it a sob story or anything but this team has dealt with a lot of sort of off-court adversity a lot of stuff that those kinds of things you know make games like this mean more they make runs like this more emotional and I think that's what's driving them I don't think they're thinking too much about oh we should have been in the NCAA tournament as far as the fans you know, yeah, I, I definitely think now that you mention it, the fact they're like, well, USD's down there doing this thing. We have to show how good we are, too. And also recognizing that USD's fans did that back in 16 when the Yotes were in exactly. the WNIT. Exactly. That's where I was going next. Because um, that was still in the Dakota Dome. The crowds get bigger through every game. I want to say that final in the Dakota Dome had like 7,000 people. It was. I like remember that. it. I was yeah, there, and I, I remember there that was, it was the insane. Yeah. And yep. so I think there's some of that, too. Um, but also, you know, it's just – and, and I, I – mentioned this to AJ and he wholeheartedly agreed with it. Also part of it is look at the teams that are coming into Frost Arena. You don't get those teams under normal circumstances. Minnesota, Alabama, UCLA, back yep. to back. Yep. Big 10, SEC, Pac-12. Yeah, and USD was getting those too. I think yeah. Oregon was one of the teams. I, I don't think all of them were. They even they started that their run on the road. They had to go to Minnesota in the first round of the okay. NIT. But then like the um, last three or four games I think were... they, they beat a mid-major in the championship. It was like Florida Gulf Coast. And you or flat out get like these that. home games because you draw fans right yeah that you what, bid on it yeah yeah oh you bid on it yeah you bid on okay. it but you know part of why or how you bid on it is you know you'll sell the knowing tickets. you can sell the tickets and yeah. also now um if sdsu beats ucla on thursday i think they're pretty much guaranteed to host the championship because if the bids are equal or whatever sdsu has hosted every game this tournament their potential opponents i think it's seton hall and middle tennessee on the other side they haven't been hosting all the way through so they would reward sdsu by saying you've consistently been bidding yeah. throughout this entire tournament they'll be home the rest of the way yeah and look i think i, I think 
throwing it back to 2016 and the way USD conti- got built the momentum and, mm-hmm. and it was a boulder going down a mountain. Uh, it, it, part of this, I, I don't think Jack's fans forget that. I don't think it was lost upon them. But then again, the, the two wins in the NCAA, it's not that – I'm not talking like this is a bitter jealousy thing, but, you know, there might have been part of a Jackrabbit fan or two who this is partly what makes the fan base awesome. And we can both agree and go into a little bit more, and we've done this a million times. They're just a little more – fervent and supportive uh excitable they have more of a track record they, certainly they just they just are they get a lot more clicks on your stories uh on the argus leader uh if it's a jackrabbit story it's going to get more clicks than a usd story even if it's you've mentioned uh maybe i don't know uh, the nit stuff has been getting uh much more traffic than i would have expected i've been kind of blown away by it let's put it that way okay fair enough and all right so I just think there might be a shred of Jackrabbit fans who 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 consumed because it's hard to look away from all the not just the USD love and how good the team is and how mm-hmm. big those wins in Waco, Texas were, but also now that now for a few days building up to the game, look at these fan look at these USD fans. Oh yeah. my gosh, they're coming from all over. They're coming from DC, they're coming <laughs> from Omaha, Kansas City and Minnesota and uh, But but what, also what a, like what, what, a, USD- what if what if SDSU's men had made the Sweet 16, though, too? You know, then I don't know. Would they, would they be investing the same energy in it? I think part of it, too, is Jack's fans got really excited about the men in the NCAA tournament, thinking, you know, this is the year. We're finally going to make a run. And then when they didn't and got beat very, you know, sort of anticlimactically in the first round, then it was sort of like, oh, shit. Well, now what do we do? Well, we got the WNIT. I think there's part of that. I think that plays into it a little bit, too. Okay, I thought you were talking about the USD men, because if the USD no, 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 men no, no, no. made the NCAA tournament and played in Wichita, yeah, there'd be just as no, many I'm people No, I'm saying going. part of the reason that Jack's fans were sort of able to pivot to the WNIT yeah. is because they were like, oh, yeah. well, we were all fired up yeah. for this run, yeah. and I guess it's going to be in this tournament instead yeah. of that tournament. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not saying it's a, it, like it's a, it's a, even a major chunk of why these crowds have been so big for the WNIT. I'm not so cynical as to say Jackrabbit fans are this supportive. They are. They've been forever. I get that. Uh, they want to support their teams, including their women's teams, and that's a beautiful thing. Very few other places in the country have that kind of support for Mm -hmm. women's basketball and women's athletics, and the Jack fans have a track record of it. I'm just maybe wondering if a shred of the boost has been, hey, no, we're we're still the the best fan base. We're still the most supportive fan base. Possibly, probably. Let's show them. I had a few early in the WNIT tournament. I had a few USD fans showing up in my mentions saying things like, Oh, well, do we get to make fun of SDSU now because they made fun of us when we were in the NIT? And I was kind of like, were they? I mean, I, oh, there's always some. You know, there's always a couple stragglers here and there on, on either side of it. And I don't know. I mean, I remember thinking what USD did in 2016 was really cool. Mm-hmm. We covered the shit out of it with the Argus. We sent three people to the championship game. You yeah. know, and um, it was a little bit – it was a different It was a different scenario. I mean, yeah. you know, if SDSU wins this WNIT, that's a big deal. But, you know, they were just in the Sweet 16 a couple years ago. It's not as cool. When USD was doing it in 2016, I think they had been to one NCAA tournament ever and lost in the first round. Right. You know, it was a bigger deal at that point. And the Jacks had never gone that far in the WNIT. They no, had one or they had one or two runs in it. And mm-hmm. and, and, and plus, um, the Dakota, I think the Dakota Dome thing was part of it as well. I it, think was it, was last, definitely, it was the ending of the Dakota Dome. Yeah, we get so extra. we had, like, three Dakota Dome finales sort of yeah it's kind of like the twins in 09 like they had three 
quote-unquote final games at the Metrodome because they had 162, then you had the one-game playoff with Detroit, then you had the playoff series. Like, you keep – yeah, that, I, yeah. I had kind of forgot that, but I remember that being a big part of it was that was the send-off for the Dakota Dome as a basketball facility. Everybody gets tired of those old dumps that nobody likes to go to games to anymore until it's the last year and a new one's coming next year. I always really liked watching basketball in the Dakota Dome. Just because it was I a novelty? Did. I guess. I just thought it – you know, it felt – Division one, even when it was Division two, yeah. you know, I go cover those games when they play Augie, or sometimes I just cover a Coyote game because Mick was busy or whatever. And I thought that was awesome having the basketball court out in the dome, and it, it was weird, I guess, the configuration or whatever. But I, I just always liked it, and the SCSC is really cool. But it's different, and obviously they made it too big, just like the Jacks did with their football stadium. So now you can never fill it, and that's something that we're you know going to be dealing with at least in the the short term. But anyway, I just yeah. yeah, I thought the Dakota Dome was cool, and that made for another sort of piece yeah. of it when they were making that run. That yeah. last game where they won, and that crowd was insane, and how loud it it, it was so goddamn oh, loud. Oh, it was great that tournament. That no, was, cool. was yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, you build you, it does help build the I don't know the interest for people to go back and go to some games if you know it's the last year in that park and you're or I'm sorry in the stadium and you're moving to a mm-hmm. new one. Might AJ, happen. AJ actually talked about that in his presser today that. Frost Arena isn't, you know, being put out to pasture necessarily, but this is sort of the last year of it in this configuration before they start the renovation. And I think it was Zach Borg asked him, you know, is that part of this? You know, feeling a little bit like this is sort of a send-off to the classic version of Frost Arena. And I, I kind of thought maybe that was a little bit of a stretch, but AJ was like, yeah, a little bit. You know, it's going to be different after this, and it's going to be under construction next year. So who knows what it's going to look like in the – when it's finally done, but it'll be different. Maybe I think the idea is to make it feel like less of a barn, yeah, you know, and more of an arena. And yeah. so, yeah, I guess it kind of like the bird cage in Sioux Falls. It's an old arena that's a, a, a old stadium that's a relic, and people who you know, I welcomed in as an ambassador to a degree last year would walk in there and go, "This is this is great! What an old time! Mm-hmm. What an old time park! It's uh, you know, it's it's fashioned and." Uh, but, you know, to a lot of people in Sioux Falls, it's kind of, we've been there, it's old, it's, it's at, you know. So someday when the Canaries have a new stadium, that last year at the Birdcage might have the same effect. Maybe, oh, that's maybe. Midway Stadium in St. Paul. Same thing happened with the Saints. Anyway, that was a sidetrack, sorry. <laughs> Until I started working for the Canaries again. Um, another aspect of this uh, Jack's WNIT thing is, and going back to Zach Borg, because I just see it on Twitter, he keeps hammering this. Well, he seems to keep hammering home, and to a degree, he's right. You know, uh, you're, you're saying this is not the motivations for these girls to prove, these women to prove, that this is uh, not a revenge of not getting in the NCAA tournament. They're just winning games, and they like playing together, and they want to keep going. Um, you know, and they want to beat, they want to please their home crowd. They want to beat big schools like Alabama and UCLA. But um, the the opposite notion is just because. And I'm just teeing this up for you. I'm not saying this is my feeling on it. Just because you're doing well against big names uh, in the WNIT does not necessarily mean that is a that NCAA that, tournament. That team. means you're. That means you've, yeah. you're, you've, yeah. you've sent the message that you should have been in the yeah. NCAA. Field. I think it was different again in 2016 with USD. I think there was a very much a general consensus that the Coyotes belonged in the tournament. And if you ask Jacks fans, they'll tell you that SDSU belongs in the NCAA tournament this year. And who, I'm certainly in no position to say they don't, but I sure didn't feel at the end of the year like, man, you know, 
this is a team that's – especially with Paige getting hurt, it was just kind of like, okay, they're sort of limping to the finish line. They've had injuries all year. You know, they went 17-1 and in the Summit League. I mean, well, it's not poo-poo what they did, but let's also be honest with ourselves. That means they won one cool game out of those 18. You know, USD, they split with, great. Every other game was – they might as well have been playing in the NSIC. And their non-conference play was – they were 3-7, and seven, I think – and the one, you know, sort of signature win was they beat UCLA, who was ranked 15th in the country at the time. But now they are nowhere near the top 25. That's who they're playing on Thursday. And to your point, yeah, it's like, oh, they're beating Minnesota, Alabama, UCLA. Minnesota had a losing record in the Big Ten. Alabama had a losing record in the SEC. UCLA is barely above 500. I think they went eight and eight in conference play, and they're like eight. They were like. 15 and 12 when the NIT started. Now they've won three, four games in a row, whatever, to get to the final four of the NIT. But these are not, yeah, they're big name teams that they're beating, but they're not necessarily NCAA tournament caliber teams. So I think that's part. I'm, I'm certainly not sitting here saying the Jacks don't belong in the NCAA tournament or they couldn't have won a game if they'd have got there. But I think part of the reason that the Jacks players and coaches aren't making that a big deal is I think they recognize, like, yeah, we didn't get it done. If we wanted to go to the NCAA tournament, we should have beat USD at the Premier Center. We didn't, so this is what we got. Yeah. There's just no – I mean, to use a cliche, there's just no point in crying over spilled milk. Who cares? You're not you – know, at this point, I think everyone knows what SDSU and USD are about. There's there's not a lot of point in playing that. We're going to prove everybody – who gives a shit? Yeah. Nobody cares. Just go out and win the tournament. Yeah. That's the more important and thing. A, and if they wanted to use that as a motivation themselves, and sure. turn, good for you. But Whatever it's obvious you that use. they're not, and I respect that. It's the same thing mm-hmm. with SDSU fans. If some of you are just were just a little tired of, for a few days, USD and their fans stealing a little thunder from well, how— I heard from a few Jack fans that are like, I don't remember the media making this big a deal that when we made it to the Sweet 16, I was like, could you not? Uh, anyway. Well, where, where was that Sweet 16 game? Syracuse, New York. No, th- those are the ones to get to the Sweet 16. Was it? Sweet yeah. 16 was in Portland, oh, right? Oh, uh, correct. Oregon, yeah. yeah. Okay, well... It, Either it, one, not driving distance. Look, I I have no doubt just as many, if not maybe more, Jacks fans would have driven to Wichita for the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would argue that. Mm-hmm. So it's we're, people are just celebrating how great the USD fans are turning out. That's it. But I think SDSU fans, some are like, well, we'd have more. And by the way, I mean, Oregon's a lot further, so it's a lot harder to, for, to get a lot of fans out there to Oregon. Mm-hmm. For the Jackrabbits, so I'm not gonna. That's apples and oranges to me, because I don't think a lot of USD fans would go out to Portland either. You, mm-hmm. Your your willingness to spend that kind of money and time to go follow your team in a historic event is, you know, a little bit limited by mm-hmm. distance and budget. So, yeah. uh, but I, <laughs> so I think the, that's what I'm saying is a lot of the attention and the positivity was on the fact that this was close and a lot of fans are going, uh-huh. not just uh-huh. oh, isn't the team great and they're right. making some history? Yeah, yeah. Well, but also they beat a number two seed Baylor to get there it was a pretty big deal we discussed that last week that's yeah. just yeah. flat out a more impressive victory than SDS it, you know beating Baylor in Baylor's home arena is, is a bigger deal than beating Syracuse in Syracuse's home arena even if it is in the same round and uh, so what um, were you were you able to watch the, the game on Saturday night yeah. the USD game mm-hmm. observations takeaways I mean they had a chance you know they missed a lot of open shots I, I'm certainly not suggesting that it was one of those games where you know, they got screwed by the refs or they did this wrong thing or, if, oh, if only this had happened because early in the game, Michigan missed a ton of open threes. And it's just like, geez, if Michigan keeps missing those shots. Yotes are going to win. But then the Yotes did it too. They missed a lot of good looks that I think they'd like to have back. And, you know, I think it just – it was sort of – you know, we've talked about this a lot with the men's tournament and the women's tournament. Like when you're a, a lower seed, a mid-major, whatever underdog label you want to apply – it does require 
I think, some level of the other team sort of looking past you or not respecting you enough for you to beat them. Because Michigan should be better than South Dakota. Baylor should be better than South Dakota. They have more resources, more money, you know, in theory, better players, better coaches, all those sorts of things. It doesn't mean you can't beat them, but for it to happen, you know, something has to sort of go wrong, so to speak. Um, even, you know, St. Peter's gets to the Elite Eight as a 15, and you're kind of thinking, okay, first round they beat Kentucky. Kentucky obviously overlooked them. Fine, that happens every few years. Then the next round they do it again. You're like, wow, well, whoever they – I think it was Murray State was probably thinking, ah, they got the one win. They won't beat us. So then you think, okay, Purdue will definitely beat them because Purdue will learn their lesson that, okay, we have to take this team seriously. Well, then they beat Purdue, and I don't know if you saw it, but in the postgame press conference, one of Purdue's best players was like – they were asking him, you know, what happened? And he goes, you know, not to take anything away from these guys, but he's like, we spent all week talking about we have to respect these guys. We have to treat them like a threat. And he flat out said some of our guys did not buy into that. He basically implied that even after St. Peter's had won two games, there were still guys on Purdue that was like, they're a 15. They can't beat us. The reason I went into all that is to say I think USD, obviously, Ole Miss was cocky. They thought they were going to roll them and got embarrassed. Baylor, I don't know what the deal was, but the Coyotes completely outplayed them for 40 straight minutes. My point is, I think Michigan was ready for them. I think Michigan was smart enough, especially as a team that had never been to the Elite Eight themselves, you know, that had dealt with some shit of their own throughout this regular season. I think they were very prepared to, like, hey, we've got a battle. This team is awesome, and they will beat us if we do not play well. And you could feel that in the way the game transpired it felt like a tense battle the whole way the way Michigan celebrated when they won a lot of times teams in that situation they seem relieved like oh my god we avoided the embarrassing upset Michigan didn't react that way at all they were like shit we did it we beat USD to get to the elite eight and I think that tells you all you need to know you know and you know I think has a big chunk to deal with this not to disrespect their coaching staff and their players and whatever preparation they went into this game but I think that had a lot to do with the USD fans. Here's why. Because I'm listening to the pregame shows. I'm driving to dinner that night <clears throat> to go watch it. And uh, uh, Carter Wadeal is mentioning, just he's describing the scene, and I don't think he's embellishing. Like, this is a, this is a, uh, this is a coyote crowd. It's pretty amazing. Most of the people here are wearing coyote red. And then when Michigan's player, as he was saying that, then Michigan's players ran out into the court, and he saw... You know, and he saw that he saw them lifting their arms up and reacting to the Yote fans who were going crazy. Like, uh-huh. keep it going, bring it on. Uh-huh. We want this. You right. know, that sometimes is the the other the other effect is uh, you, you hear this a lot when athletes go into these you know lions dens on the road or in neutral sites where one team takes over and makes it their home place. Is the is the You'd think that it would intimidate the players on the other team, and sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it really throws off a team like Michigan, who's you know, or Minnesota when they went to uh, Brookings a, a Sunday ago. It was the other way. It was like, oh my God, we're you know, we're in a hornet's nest. Oh, mm-hmm. who are these people? And by the way, it's psychologically, this is a little school, and what are they, these yep. fans doing yep. to us? Yep. Michigan was like, bring it on, bitches, let's go. You know, that thing. You know, they, they were thrilled to be in that kind of environment. They embraced it. And I don't know what how big of a chunk of the reason why they, uh, you know, won. And it, but and whatever to your point of them taking the Yotes seriously. But I think uh, being able to twist that environment, being a road game, into a positive where they enjoyed it clearly in the way they played from right away. Uh, it was a toe-to-toe battle, and they were ready. The other part of it is I, you know, another thing that was hyped up before the game was uh, pregame and. In you know the days leading up, the 11 to zero and 11 to 
to two starts that USD got against Ole Miss and Baylor. Part of that may have been taking teams, you know, just cold cocking mm-hmm. them right away mm-hmm. that weren't ready for them. And I was like, God, this I, you know, I when I was listening to that combined with the Michigan players seemed ready for the environment. I was thinking, this could be a dud. I mean, this could be like because um, the USD fans sometimes these things are such great fairy tales that they end badly. Mm-hmm. Like Creighton's women's team after beating Iowa and Iowa State got flattened by 30 by South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and St. Peter's same way. They just got drilled by who beat them in the... I think it was North Carolina. Yeah. Um, so I kind of was thinking this might happen to USD because the stars are, have aligned too perfectly and this is, you know, the whole uh, Cinderella pumpkin is a pumpkin thing. Mm-hmm. It just turned out to be a great battle. I mean, it just mm-hmm. turned out to be a great back and forth game and uh, Michigan probably should have won by more because they're bigger. It would have been an amazing feat to get to the Elite Eight because that would be three major conference teams and three teams that are just bigger. Mm-hmm. The basketball is better at USD overall. They play below the rim. They're fundamentally sound. They have to play great defense. They can't turn it over. They're top ten in the nation and those things. That's how you have to play to be able to beat teams like Old Miss, Baylor, and Michigan, who are just bigger at you, bigger than you at every mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. And chances are because they're in those leagues, they're also more athletic. They're better. Mm-hmm. Um, so... But in the end, that's finally where it comes to roost. Like, USD, for the most part, played great defense, held them to 49 points, didn't turn it over too often. Michigan was just, you know, it's a little bit bigger, and they could get the the closer, they could get the offensive rebounds, they could get the closer baskets easier. USD missed a lot of bunnies that weren't wide open bunnies, but they were mm-hmm. close to the rim shots where they were driving, they were being aggressive, mm-hmm. but you're going over girls yep. that are bigger than you, and you're mm-hmm. going to miss some of those shots, and they did. So... Well, it. it begs the question now, which everyone was talking about in the immediate aftermath, is what's the ceiling now for a South Dakota women's basketball team? Because yeah. I think for a long time we kind of felt like it was the Sweet 16. You know, that was the one thing that I felt was a little bit almost depressing is too strong of a word. But when SDSU made the Sweet 16 in 2019, I remember feeling a little bit like, man, it kind of feels like people are saying, like, this is it. You know, like, this is the thing. You know, this is this is the high water mark. Two wins in the NCAA tournament, um, and you know, it's not not to say that the Jacks went to Oregon feeling like, oh, we're just happy to be here and we're not going to try to beat them. I mean, there was there was definitely talk, especially any team that had Macy Miller and Madison Giebert as seniors, that like, hey, this is a team that can do some things. But it certainly felt like they were kind of playing with house money after they got to the Sweet 16, and I guess so was USD by getting to the Sweet 16 as a 10 seed and beating Baylor as a number two. I guess you are playing with house money at that point, but. Again, as I wrote, like you beat Baylor in Waco, you can beat anybody. I mean, they're they were the national champion just a couple of years ago. Now, you know, does that mean you know the Coyotes played South Carolina this year and lost by thirty? If they'd have played them again, I think it would have been closer. But would I like their chances to beat them? Not really. Can they beat a UConn, a Louisville? I mean, the Jacks have played Louisville a couple times, and they've maybe even beat them. I'm not sure. I know they got embarrassed by them a couple times too, but. That's the difference with the women's tournament is those two or three teams at the top, the Yukons and, you know, whoever, South Carolina has reached that level too. They're just so much, you know, yep. on another level than either, even the other number one seeds usually. So is it, you know, is it realistic to say a USD or an SDSU could win a national championship? I don't think so. Not right now. But if, if getting to the Sweet 16 is suddenly like – I don't want to say not a big deal, but it's clearly not doesn't have to be the ceiling anymore. I mean, USD came very close to getting to the Elite Eight. You know, if, if the Elite Eight is within reach, if the Final Four is suddenly within reach, who knows if you have a few years in that stratosphere, 
you know, does recruiting rise up just an, another notch or, you know, yeah. whoever you bring in, coaching, facilities, resources, whatever, to where suddenly you're kind of a, you know, maybe a women's basketball version of Gonzaga, you know? I mean, they were a mid-major for a long time, and mm-hmm. they just had so much success that, that now they're essentially a, a power mid-major, you know? I mean, I'm sure there are other women's examples from the past. I remember back in the 80s, Old Dominion was a very powerful women's Louisiana basketball program. Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech. There's been some other ones, so, you know. I, I don't have the answer. I don't know. We can just sit here and speculate, but that's obviously a question that came up a lot, and and I think we'll continue to over the next few years. Is how high is up for these yeah. two programs? It's just hard to do over and over again. You, you mentioned your recruiting and your players could get better because of this, and I think Hannah Shervin's a living, breathing example of it. I mean, she was, as you mentioned, she was going to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's the Mountain West. That's right below the cusp of the, you know, uh, Power Five conferences. It certainly is a higher level of basketball. And what differentiates these levels of basketball from level to level, from low, I would consider the Summit League low mid-major mm-hmm. um, to, you know, uh, the, the higher mid-majors Missouri up on into the league. Size. Yeah. Men's and women's basketball. I think you could agree. NSIC versus Summit League even. It's just mostly size. There's mm-hmm. a lot of talent mm-hmm. at every position. Some teams have more athleticism and better coaching than others. And uh, if you have the if you have the coaching – uh, the fundamentals, blah blah blah. You can beat you can, you can beat teams at a higher level in size and athleticism than you, but not consistently. Yeah, it just, again, like the, I said, it's just there's so much. But Hannah Shervin provided the size yes. that yes. USD not was not able to get, and that made a difference in them beating the other. Mm-hmm. That size advantage beat the other teams in the league. And I've talked about SDSU's women have had most of their NCAA tournament success when they played a team that did not have a 6-4 dominant post. It was some team that, you know, their center was 6-1, 6-2, you know, a manageable size comparable to what they had. Yeah. You know, now maybe at some point, whether it's, you know, USD or SDSU is able to find another Hannah Shervin or, or continue to find players like that, you know, that, that would go a long way. And, um, yeah. It's just like I said, there's just so much less – I don't know if I say there's less parity in the women's game, but like I said, those top-tier teams, UConn, South Carolina, they're on another level. And even within the Summit League, we see it. SDSU and USD are so far above the other teams in the Summit League, it's kind of pathetic. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's that is a little bit specific to the women's game. I mean, I can remember, especially because I still cover a lot of NSIC tournament games, you, you watch an NSIC men's game and an NSIC Summit League game, and with a couple of exceptions, there isn't a huge difference. A lot of the guys in the NSIC that are you know really good players, they'd be really good players in the Summit League too. We've seen it. They transfer up. AJ Plitzwhite was freshman of the year for Augie, jumps up to USD. Perfect. It's just as good at USD as he was at Augie. But on the women's side, you watch an NSIC game, and I'm not trying to pick on the the NSIC women, but it's not the same. I mean, you watch Augie play USF, and then watch SDSU play USD. It's really, really different. Hmm. And so I just think that's whether you're going the jump from D2 to D1 or, or you know, D2 to the Summit League or Summit League to the Missouri Valley, Missouri Valley to the those upper conferences, there can be such a big jump. But f- as of right now, SDSU and USD have sort of solved that and figured out a way to get their programs on that power conference level just within their teams. It's not in the Summit League, and that's why they're going to have to both continue to do what they've done, which is you know schedule more games against power conference teams, get that strength of schedule up, and – you know, hopefully that can continue. And and once every now and then get a player they used to not be able to get. Because the ones right. they've been able to get have been doing great for them as far as being the best teams in the Summit League for 10 years and taking their turns doing it. And then also um, uh, being more competitive in the NCAA tournaments or the WNIT. And part of that is obviously – 
most of the players are coming from South Dakota or this region. I was say, maybe at some point you got to try and reach out beyond your geographical footprint for that difference maker. I mean, know? it's great that you can get so many of these players from this region, and they can be that, you know, right. regionally and nationally Even competitive. Even she went to New Mexico, which is from Minnesota. She's from Minnesota, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's great that AJ and Don, and before Don, Amy Williams, and before Amy Ryan, that can sh- has shown that you can take girls from this mm-hmm. region and make mm-hmm. them great players or great teams that can every now and then compete against the big boys. Well, you look at the best, best players, whether it's and Macy Miller, Madison Gebert, Maya Selland, um, Chloe Lamb, Kira Duffy, those are all South Dakota kids mm-hmm. or nearby Minnesota or whatever. Maybe the difference is, and maybe this is something that will be afforded to them now that they've kind of made this imprint on the national level is, can you go out and maybe get a kid from Texas or California or yeah. whatever that can be that one difference maker to put you over the hump? Yeah. And, and I have c- no idea if AJ or Don even want to do that. Yeah. But it seems like something that maybe would be... It would make sense. And how much does support and fan and crowd size matter? I don't like. You're not going to get kids. Kids are going to go to Tennessee and UConn because those schools are. Yeah, no one's going to choose. Yeah, that's partly why they're great. Is because those UConn's best players from Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's part of that is uh, uh, the brand, but part of the brand is these huge crowds that you don't get anywhere else uh, at that level of basketball. But maybe USD or SDSU could if they. And uh, part of it is trying if they wanted to get kids that. I'm just throwing out. I guess let's throw out teams that we saw that. May have otherwise gone to Mississippi, which probably doesn't get very big crowds, doesn't have a good women's basketball tradition, isn't a big league, uh, and instead of going to a place like Mississippi or uh, I get, I'm arbitrarily throwing out schools that aren't mm-hmm. blue bloods of women's basketball, they, they'll go. They could go to USD huh. or SDSU because uh-huh. you know you're probably going to compete for an NCAA tournament berth, uh, the, the, one of the best women's basketball conference tournament events. Uh, that feel bigger than some of the NCAA tournament Abs- games feel. Absolutely. And also, in SDSU's case, just big, loud crowds all the time. I think USD's building for that, but still the arena looks a little vacant for still a lot of their women's games and men's games. But, you're, yeah, you're recruiting to an environment that may entice a kid, again, who's not going to choose Tennessee over USD, but might choose USD or SDSU over a Mississippi mm-hmm. or I don't know. Whoever. Oregon yeah. State or something like that. Uh, speaking of such, uh, everybody, uh, we, you know, we, I act as we, we, you called it, that uh, Matthew Moores was going to be, um, you know, in the mix at SDSU, and uh, obviously coaches were on him right away once he entered the transfer portal, and then he was at the uh, WNIT game mm-hmm. earlier last week. What's is what, what do we know about a possible push by nothing. USD? I got nothing, no update. Okay. I mean, I know, yeah, that's the last I saw was that he was there, but if I was a Jacks fan, I'd be pretty encouraged by that. If I yeah. was a USD or Creighton or Iowa State or whoever else, I'd, I'd be like, oh, okay. So that's what's going on. It's, I don't know. We'll it's, see. It's weird because the uh, you know they recruited. He's from Yankton, so he's quite familiar with the quality of these both men's and women's teams at both of those schools and the support for women's basketball. But it's always great to take a recruit to a big event where a lot of fans are there to show mm-hmm. what an awesome environment mm-hmm. this campus is and this arena is. And USD, you know, SDSU had the luxury of getting their right. tournament, postseason tournament right games at home. Yeah. It's yeah. not like Matthew Moore is going to go to Wichita. Right. But he's aware. Um, it's, it'd be interesting to see what kind of a, a shot USD has in this whole thing. And speaking of that, another cleanup item from last week. You mentioned David Jenkins going to go to his what fifth school, and uh, I think he's going to end up at USD. I don't have any inside info. No one has said, "Hey, watch out for this." It just makes sense. I mean, he's apparently worn out his welcome at Utah, which he apparently also did at UNLV. Um, I don't know a, a lot of details about that. It's, him and Craig Smith appeared to have some sort of kind of falling out this year. 
but he's back in the portal. I'm pretty sure he has one year of eligibility left. And Eric Peterson was his assistant at Utah. Now, if Eric was like, hey, I didn't want to mess with whatever was causing the rift up there with Craig, I could see that. But, you know, five minutes after we taped our last show, we talked about, well, Mason Archambault still hasn't entered the portal. <laughs> By the time we were in our cars, yeah. he had entered the portal, too. They don't have any players. You know, they have Paul Bruns and A.J. Plitzwhite, and that's about it. Um, so th- they need anybody they can get. And if you're Eric Peterson, I don't care if David Jenkins, you know, caused problems at, at Utah or just didn't work out or whatever. Or he's got a little bit of a reputation for being a ball hog. Fine. USD's got what, nine available scholarships? You know the guy's good for 20 points a game in the Summit League if you give him enough run. Yep. So bring him in, sell some tickets, say, hey, remember this guy, David Jenkins? He'll come in there, he'll be their marquee player, and you get a year out of him, and the whole time he's there t- jacking up shots, you're yeah. you know, looking for his replacement. Where was he before South Dakota State? He, he started at South he Dakota State. He did, okay. Yeah. So it's South Dakota State, UNLV, and Utah. This would be his fourth team. Yeah. Uh, so nowhere along the way was Iowa State with TJ. That mm-hmm. might be another place as well. That Maybe. could be That could be an option Maybe. for him. A more enticing option, if so. I'm sure he would prefer that, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, eight and a half points, by the way. I was just looking up. That's eight, all he averaged? Eight and a half points at Utah. So, yeah. uh, who knows? It, it's interesting. If he's in a riff with – if he's in some sort of a thing and he's getting out because of Craig Smith, then I don't know why he'd necessarily follow Eric I heard Peterson. it was kind of similar to what was going on with Friedel at SDSU, where he just mysteriously one day, like, was completely out of the rotation. Yeah. And I don't know, you know. And, and that brings us to what we were talking about earlier any you any USD fan that says they don't want David Jenkins, uh, considering the situation they are in right now, uh, you're lying. Any, I don't think any USD fan would say that. Okay, <laughs> I That's mean based good. on just that, like I said, they don't have any players. Like yeah. they literally don't have players right now. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you can't be too moralistic about. And plus, they would love to have uh, a guy who used to be, a, you know, who left SDSU by his yeah. own volition. Right. They would love that. Yeah, I, I think you'd be okay with somewhat of a, a ball-centric uh, guy who's yeah. who's who's been around when he can light it up. And fun to watch. Finally, gets that chance to be the guy. He's he, a fun he, player to watch. Even when he was at SDSU, Mike Dom was the guy, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. he's the the guy. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think uh, I think people would turn out for that. And if they got Matthew Moore's, ooh, well. Would either of them want to go if the other one was there? Maybe. Neither. You I can't know. be the big star. Uh, all right. Uh, the Duke-North Carolina thing. I, I, I'm burnt out on people who are burnt out by Duke. I've always hated Duke. I've always kind of rolled my eyes at the affection Coach K has always had, not just mm-hmm. in his year of retirement. I rolled my eyes that he announced his retirement and then went on, you know, which mm-hmm. with, which paved the way. Made sure to do it in advance so everyone could kiss his ass on the way out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I hated that. I'm like, that's on brand. That's I, you know, I don't hate that. I realize he's a good coach. He seems like a decent person. Whatever. Uh, his former players swear by him. So did Bobby Knights, and Bobby Knight is a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, look, I'm almost the 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 reaction on the side of they're so tired of the CBS. Some of them think that this is all a big uh, this is all uh, preordained. Right. If it were totally preordained, they'd have Duke and Carolina play in the championship game. Right. But even at that, so what if they did? That'd be I'm not going to deny that that'd be awesome to watch. And I cheer for Carolina in those games. I'll cheer for Carolina in this game. But I am I'm actually burnt out on the anti Duke crowd to the point where I'm all, almost cheering for the guy. Yeah, I'm kinda like I, I'm I hate Duke and I've always I have a lot of good reason to think that Mike Shashevsky's largely a, a phony and a two faced not the saint sure. that he presents himself as. Yeah. That doesn't mean I, I think he's a terrible person or terrible coach who shouldn't you know, be given all the accolades that I mean, he's earned them. We were talking about before we went on there. A hundred NCAA tournament wins—that is fucking insane. Yeah. You know how many coaches win a hundred games? Period. 
or get to the NCAA tournament. He has 100 wins in the NCAA tournament. That's amazing. Um, and and yeah, I, you know, I was rolling my eyes throughout this entire retirement tour, and I laughed my ass off when North Carolina kicked his ass in the final home game at, at Cameron Indoor. That was great. Yeah, um, but this is kind of cool what they're doing. And uh, if he were to go out on top as a champion, like I'm not gonna say I'd be standing on top of my coffee table screaming and yelling, celebrating. But I wouldn't be like, oh my god! Like I'd be like, that's pretty cool. Exactly, yeah. isn't that cool? And but and it's still. And by the way, when they keep advancing, and this has been the case forever with Duke, who I've always hated, it, it's just okay. You get to watch him again, so you get to cheer against him again. It's mm-hmm. still. It's and and I I've known I know some people who uh, have publicly declared on Twitter that uh, they're they're so disgusted by this overbaked Coach K and now Duke Carolina. Right. I'm not going to watch bullshit. You're watching. Yeah. F- fuck off. Stop yeah. that. Which, by the way, before we go, because I got to go, I don't yeah. know if you saw CBS on Sunday. I think it was did like a 10 minute special on Leitner's shot against Kentucky in '92. They had Coach K and Grant Hill to sit down to watch it and they had Rick Pitino and Jamal Mashburn sit down and watch it and then they like gave commentary watching Jamal Mashburn said it was the first time he's watched it since it happened wow I don't know if I believe that but still it was great it was 10 minutes of outstanding television if you can find it online it's worth your time to watch it because that was I watched that entire basketball game with my family at my grandma's house in 1992 it's to this day one of the top five games I've ever watched any sport any level and so um, it was just I saw when they said it coming up next. I was like, "Oh, I'm watching this," and it did not disappoint. Thank you. I'll watch it. Have a good week. Likewise. Enjoy. Bye bye. Of course, Matt is headed back up to Brookings to see the Jacks and UCLA WNIT Final Four game. Follow his coverage for that. If you can't be one of the SDSU fans filling that place, making it crazy as they do then the next best place to watch it is right here at the Gateway. Of course, the game will be on their TVs all over in this kind of awesome movie theater setting that we have here at the Gateway. And also, again, if you want to get out of the house and be in a fun environment for the Final Four, Villanova and, oh my God, I lost my train of thought. Who's Villanova playing? I know it's a team that's blue. They're all blue, blue teams. Kansas, how could I forget Kansas? My de facto NCAA team every year the Huskers got knocked out. Villanova, Kansas, UNC, Duke. They're calling it the Blue Blood Final Four. I think it's arguable. Uh, Villanova's a recent blue blood, but not the traditional blue blood. Uh, I know they won in 85, but for the most part, they've been a mediocre to decent program that kind of ran off the 85 steam. And then the last 10 years under Jay Wright, definitely one of the – Recent Blue Bloods. Anyway, it's going to be fun. Villanova and Kansas, UNC Duke. You're going to watch it. You know it. Come over, have dinner here, watch the games here. Awesome menu, great drink specials, including their two furs seven days a week. So for that first game that starts at 5, Villanova and Kansas, you could enjoy the two furs that involve uh, Tito's, Morgan, Jack, and Crown Royal liquor. Uh, two furs between 6 and 7 uh, bucks every day, except on Sundays when uh, you can make a double for a quarter. And uh, all the biggest soccer games around as well. Uh, this is a soccer bar. There's been a lot of big ones lately. It's your place, Gateway, on West 41st Street and I-29. We'll talk next week. Thanks for listening. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Yeah.